Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into another episode of Steelers Afternoon Drive. I'm Zachary Smith. That's not Alan Saunders. That's Nick Farabaugh. And Nick, is this just going to be a Friday thing? Like, is that what's going to end up happening here? Is it's not going to be Alan? It's going to be either you or Derek, maybe Chris. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, Al- Alan keeps, you know, loading up his Fridays. Um, so just has it, to go see the in-laws. Yeah, you know, gotta go. Gotta go out to New Jersey. Um, that's where he's going. So he's going to the shore. Meanwhile, I'm stuck back here in Pittsburgh. Um, I'm going to a Greek festival later tonight, which I am okay. very forward to. Um, I am going to kill a gyro, a gyro, whichever one you want. I just pronounced it both ways, so no one comes for me in the comments. But I'm going to crush about five of those. Ooh, okay. Well, that sounds good. Um, what else sounds good is if people subscribe to the channel, leave us a like, hit that notification bell. Nick said he wants to see people in the comments about the gyros, euros. You can get on him about that. I also said it both ways. That way people couldn't get on me either. Big brain in this whole episode right now. Uh, and if you're listening somewhere else that isn't YouTube, be sure to give us a five-star review as well there. And you can subscribe to whatever listening platform you're finding us on. Nick, I want to open up the show. And we're going to get into a lot of, of comments and questions from people. Um, but I there was a story on the site about Spencer Anderson and Dylan Cook. And it, it provoked a comment from somebody who i know reads at the site who know i know listens to the show always commenting we appreciate him chris nestrick hopefully i said his last name correctly if not another thing in the comments to get on us about with the gyro euro thing um about pat meyer and mason cole and just the appreciation that we should have for those guys and i'll be honest i i think that there is merit to that because when we hired pat meyer when we brought in mason cole and we can really expand this conversation talk about the offensive line as a whole I really questioned the move. Didn't love Pat Meyer's body of work from his previous stops, Carolina um, especially. And Mason Cole was a guy that, to me, looked better playing guard than at center. And I was like, this guy's going to come in and play center. I really don't see him being that much of an upgrade from what we got from Kendrick Green. And man, was I wrong. Because Mason Cole, at the very least, provided very stable play within the middle of that offensive line. I think that's a good way of putting it. Baseline, center, play. Through a foot injury which there would be weeks where he just wouldn't really practice at all show up on Sunday and play every snap of the game really question how he did it as far as Pat Meyer goes man you look at from the beginning of the season to where that offensive line was at the end of the year seemingly everybody improving in the offensive line as a whole really started to gel that second half of the year and that's why we saw the run game get going as well uh where are you at with, with Pat Meyer and the improvement of this offensive line from when he took over last year to where they are now and also the influx of young players. Like, I feel better about these guys under his tutelage now. You know, a Broderick Jones, a Spencer Anderson, a Dylan Cook. Yeah, I think that's a big thing that has really helped this group kind of buy into what they have. They have a, a consistent message. And what they needed wasn't a, a drill sergeant that 
repped them through the hard stuff. That was what Adrian Clem was. And then mm. Clem left, and they needed a teacher that could teach them the technique, that could break down everything to the nitty-gritty. Man, at practice, they don't even do that many reps and in individuals. Like, it's mostly Pat Myers showing what to do and just making sure they get quality reps. It's quality over quantity 100% of the time with him. He's a teacher. He's not very loud. Like, he doesn't really yell. He's, you know, very much a guy that you kind of look at and say, that guy's just like a wise man. I don't know. That's like kind of how I view him. He's like, you know, up there, calm, showing techniques. He's got a very different type of kind of philosophies with what he has, but it fits what Matt Canada does. So I think that's a good thing. I also think you have to come in and consider what they did in the run game at the end of last year. That's to his credit. He's the offensive line coach. It doesn't matter where you're at. That offensive line coach is the run game coordinator. And so Pat Meyer is involved in what they did with going to more multiple tight ends, getting kind of those unbalanced sets that they were doing last year. So he was involved in that. So he, he definitely deserves credit in the development part of it. You know, when we looked at his stuff and we just looked at Carolina, I feel like. I feel like everyone just looked at Carolina mm-hmm. and how bad that offensive line was. They had Taylor Moten and and really no one else. And everyone said, man, what are they doing here? Well, you know, when I talked with some of the Panthers guys, like they were saying, like, listen, it's not really him. It, it, he didn't have a lot to work with. Like the talent there just was not good. Um, and, and I think that might have been right because his, you know, his resume with the Chargers is far more kind of okay there's there's those signs of like there could be a good coach here he was young with the chargers though and so maybe this is just him kind of finally stepping into a you know his his kind of role as an offensive line coach and kind of finding the the right soft spot but it's kind of undeniable to say what he's done uh because you saw the growth from the offensive line from day one last year remember that jaguars preseason game last year where yeah unfortunately Bisky got absolutely crushed like all (laughs) game and everyone was like dude this is gonna be the worst offensive line in the league and then by week one like they weren't that great in week one and and on but like they weren't even nearly as bad they ended up playing to be a league average offensive line unit by the end of the year and probably to be quite honest with you with talent that probably was not league average so yeah they played above their line all because they just bought into what he was selling. The reason they struggled was because they were learning what Pat Pyre was doing. And and so he kept at it and he got them to improve at it. You know, those aggressive sets, the independent hands, all that stuff. And they did a really nice job of buying into it. And now he has talent there too, with say Amalo and Daniels and, you know, Dan Morris coming into his third year. Um, And you obviously have Broderick Jones. I don't think we have seen like a true, ascension from a, a young guy just yet but it's kind of hard to do that with one year so i'm excited to see what he can do he deserves a lot of credit man he's brought stability to that room which after mike munchak left they didn't have because they went from sean Surrett straight into clem you know three years two different line coaches and then it was meyer and meyer has really come in and kind of set a standard and given given this room what they needed yeah, I agree. And that's why, like, even the Carolina thing, there's definitely credence to that. Like, you have to have some talent. But that's why I, it, like, makes what he's done here that much more impressive to me is because I don't think that there is, like, that much, you know, to work with here necessarily. Or there hasn't been at least last year. Obviously, now you have a first-round pick in Broderick Jones. I'm saying, like, the offensive line is bad players. But, again, like, Mason Cole, you know, Kevin Dotson last year still obviously having the role that he did. Chiquama Okorafor, like we're not talking about like, you know, high-end talent along the offensive line. And he really 
squeezed as much possible out of them last year, I thought. So I'm I'm excited to see what, what they're going to do this year. And I even went as far as saying I thought he was like, I don't know if this is a thing internally. It's certainly not externally, but I thought he was the coach of the staff last year. I went as far as saying that. I thought, you know, all due credit to obviously the, the man in charge, Mike Tomlin. I really like Alfredo Roberts. Um, you know, there, there's great coaches on this staff, but I thought because of where the talent was to where the play was at by the end of the year, Pat Meyer deserved the most credit amongst the people on the staff. And also yeah. I'm not like trying to make an excuse for, for this player who is no longer here anyway, but that's funny that you mentioned the Adrian Clem thing, because I thought about Kendrick green when he first came in and then have having to undergo a coaching change at, at his position as well going from Clem to Pat Meyer, you just wonder like, could things have possibly been a little bit different if Pat Meyer was his offensive line coach right from the jump? It's possible. He didn't really fit. I think Pat Meyer was his offensive line coach from the jump. And what I mean by this is, is if he was hired before Kendrick Green was drafted, I don't think they draft Kendrick Green. I just, I don't think he lines up with what Pat yeah, Meyer likes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, I talk about those aggressive sets, right? Well, Kendrick Green has very short arms. And so if you're going to get up on first contact to those guys, you're going to want length. And that's why the Steelers have been focusing on like lengthy tackles and like these kind of 34, 35 inch arms, because that's what he does. Um, But even in, in the interior, you know, Kendrick Green's just really undersized. So what he always needed was an outside zone heavy team. And yeah, the Steelers run some outside zone, but they don't, they're not like a Kyle Shanahan team or a Sean McVay offense or, a, you know, even where he went, with the Texans to go Bobby Slowick's offense, right? That's going to be outside zone heavy. That's it's a good mm-hmm. fit for Kendrick Green. That's what he needed. Yep. He's not a bulldozer. He's an athlete that needs to move in space and use that. And so I thought that's why when we look back at year one with Kendrick Green, and it wasn't like a bad, it wasn't a good rookie year at all. But like you saw flashes from him that were like, whoa, like there's like five centers in the league that can do that. Like he would reach linebackers on the backside that, we're like crazy. Like Jason Kelsey's like the guy that does that consistently. Like it just doesn't happen very often. Or he's reaching a one tech that he shouldn't on the front side because he's explosive and a great athlete. Um, he just needs to play in that type of system. And as a pass protector, he needs to be a patient player, but he can't do that when your offensive line coach is teaching aggressive sets. And I think Kendrick green tried to fit in, but I, I don't think it was great. So, I mean, Maybe it's different. I just think the physical limitations for what Kendrick Green had do not line up with what Pat Meyer wanted, and I don't think it lined up with what Matt Canada really wanted either. And so uh, it's it's a strange pick. I, I look yeah. back on it, and yeah, you can put blame on Kendrick Green for not improving or playing very well, but I, I put a lot of blame on the Steelers too because you look at it from where we are now to what they actually did. And you said, okay, when they drafted him, okay, they're going to run a lot of outside zone. That makes a lot of sense. And they just kind of did, they kind of, they kind of made Kendrick green, you know, the, the square peg to fit into a round hole. It didn't really mm-hmm. make a lot of sense. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Um, another topic that I wanted to bring up on here recently, and this is kind of tying in a league news type thing with TJ Hawkinson's deal in Minnesota being finalized. Uh, we got a tight end here, Pat Fryermuth, 
who is going to be looking for a payday a little bit down the line too, not necessarily like immediately in the future. Um, but after this season, he'll be extension eligible. So it's something to keep on our minds. I think at this time, we've seen the likes of cool Komet get extended as well. So where are you at with this? I mean, I think we got to also take into consideration the concussion history of Pat Fryermuth. That is something like it. I, you know, I got, I got a wood desk right here, knock on wood. Hopefully he's able to stay healthy. Um, and the Steelers and him are both interested in an extension. I mean, you look at Hawkinson, you look at Cole Komet, these other deals around the league. Where does a Pat Fryermuth line up there for you? Yeah, well, I think the Hawkinson deal is very, very rich. Um, and, and Muth has been a very productive tight end. If you go through the first two years, Tommy Jaggy from Fansided tweeted this yesterday. Um, Fryermuth easily has better stats than Hawkinson did through two years. But Hawkinson's really started to break out these past few. Um, specifically last year where he had a really big year after going to Minnesota. Um, and, and so I think it all depends on how Fryer move continues to progress. Does he kind of stay stagnant and, and you know, would it be a really good tight end or does he take that leap into the next level of tight ends? Because I'll tell you what, like there's a lot of good metrics to where, you know, where you go from a, a 497 yard rookie year to a 732 second year. Well, What's the leap the third year? A thousand yards? Like in this offense, it's tough, right? Yeah. But could he get 900? Could he get, you know, 900 in like six touchdowns? Because that's top tight end production. That is tight, top tight end production. Meanwhile, you look at Hawkinson the past few years and where he's been at. And a lot of those stats last year 914 yards and six touchdowns. Like, Ruth's not that far off from that. And so, I mean, really. When you look at the progression of Hawkinson to Muth, rookie year for Hawkinson, 367. Second year, 723. Like, very similar numbers. So, if we're talking about a guy that takes a leap up to that 900-yard mark in Friar Muth, you got to wonder where the the extension comes in, right? Does it come in richer than Hawkinson's? I think... Right now, I would consider the Hawkinson deal the ceiling, I, I would say. I think if he just stays at 730 yards and around there, you know, he had two touchdowns, he'll probably catch more than that this year. I'm assuming he will. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to assume that you catch maybe 750 yards or five touchdowns. That's not TJ Hawkinson money, especially with his blocking ability because Hawkinson can block. I think that's another thing that you do have to factor into this. Um, but for Armus, a great receiving tight end and I certainly think he's better than Cole Komet and and you know that that contract that Cole Komet got was kind of crazy when you think about it how much it ended up going because he only I mean he's a solid tight end the first two years you know with over 500 yards but he never really had a breakout year like a Muth did right with a 732 yard season and a bad passing offense so I look at and say somewhere in the middle there so if you're going to get paid like a top tight end, man, 16 a year, probably around there, right? I mean, that's yeah, that's about right. And I mean, you know, Komet got paid a really nice chunk of change by going for four, 50 over four with, you know, about 12 and a half a year. So if Muth is better than him, which I believe he is, you got to give Muth somewhere around that. And top tight end money is 
becoming more expensive, right? I mean, it really is. Darren mm-hmm. Waller, I think, leads the way right now at 17 a year. Hawkinson came in at 16.5. Yeah, Kittle at 15, Kelsey at 14.3. So, I mean, I, I got to imagine somewhere around that 14 to 15 million mark because I imagine Kittle and Kelsey and Andrews and those guys will get kind of, you know, the bump up to the top of the market soon enough. But I kind of imagine he's going to have to get get up there. Um, I think the Hawkinson 16 and a half is the stealing right now, but we'll see how he plays this year. Yeah. So from like a stats perspective, it's kind of hard to say because we don't know how pass happy this offense is going to be. There's only one football. You look at the weapons on this offense, the other pass catchers, it's kind of hard for me to see him being an incredibly high volume guy. I think the touchdown production certainly could be there, but Nick, you mentioned Hawkinson being uh, a better blocker too, but what's really interesting to me is Minnesota giving Josh Oliver a nice chunk of change there. I feel like to kind of take Hawkinson away from doing that inline dirty work and having him just be another pass catcher. We'll see if that comes to fruition, but you look at the similarities to what potentially Pittsburgh doing, drafting Darnell Washington maybe for the exact same type of thing and using Fryermuth is just like that big slot. It's interesting, man, because these tight ends are pushing to be paid closer to wide receivers, especially if that's how they are utilized, essentially like a slot receiver, a big slot receiver. Um, I'm with you in that in that range, though, that number that you were talking about, the 15-ish million dollar range per year, uh, assuming health and assuming the production stays somewhat linear. Uh, I, I would say that that's probably fair and, you know, or the Steelers are going to be the team that gives it to him. I think that's the question. Yeah. Listen, man, like you look at his stats out of the slot last year where Pat Fryermuth was and his usage in the slot was obviously lower than everyone else's just because, you know, when you have a Travis Kelsey, you're going to play him out there, Darren Waller and George Kittle, even you're going to play him out there because they're elite proven guys. But Farmuth had to stay in line a lot because they didn't really, you know, trust Gentry as a receiver and, and all of those things. But you looked at his stats, he had an explosive reception on 25% of his receptions from the slot. Like that's second in the NFL and behind George Kittle. Like that's an insane stat. You look at his yards per route run from the slot 2.28 yards per route run. That's second best in the NFL last year behind only Travis Kelsey. Like, from a slot receiver standpoint last year, Pat Frymuth wasn't just a good tight end. From a production efficiency standpoint, he was elite. Like, that's mm-hmm. how good he was last year in terms of that. So if Darnell Washington plays as much as we think he will because he's such a good blocker, and Connor Hayward's going to mix in there too, of course. Pat Frymuth is going to play a lot in the slot, and he's going to get open a lot in the slot. And Kenny Pickett's going to look for him on those first downs, move the chains, things. Man, like, if they use him as they might use him, like that 900-yard season I was talking about where he maybe has 900 yards on, like, 70 receptions or, like, six or seven touchdowns, like, I know it's hard to find targets in this offense because Deontay Johnson, Calvin Austin, Allen Robinson, and, and, you know, George Pickens and Najee and Jalen Warren, like, that's a lot of mouths to feed, but... Muth is like the trustworthy guy in that slot. And so even though I know Allen Robinson is going to be there, I also have to acknowledge Allen Robinson can play outside. And I think that's one of the reasons why they went and got a slot receiver that can play outside too. It gives them more versatility to what they can do to keep Allen Robinson on the field when they can keep him on the field. And Pat Frymuth can play out in the slot as much as he wants, man. I don't know. Part of the, I think it's going to be how much his usage rate is in the slot. 
I just think that's the big thing. How much does Allen Robinson take away from that? You know, where do they play Allen Robinson if Muth is on the field and in the slot? Do they go four wide? Like, I don't know what they're going to do, but like the the breakout for him to go up to 900 yards is like it's there. Like the blueprint is there because the production from the slot last year, as I said with those stats, it wasn't just good; it was elite. Yeah. Yeah, and by, you know, I think everybody expects Kenny Pickett at this point to take a leap from where he was last year. So improved quarterback play, the offense looking better, it's there. Like, it is there that he could certainly take another leap to where he was at. Uh, Interesting stuff. All great points. Um, So I think we can, at this point, move on to something else that could happen. One thing I don't think is going to happen is Mason Rudolph being traded to the New England Patriots. First off where where did this come from second off should probably acknowledge that since i think we first saw this uh the patriots have claimed matt corral so they no longer have just one quarterback on their roster uh and third no patriots could have signed this guy for three months ago now maybe if some injuries take place and this isn't a patriots thing this is for any team if some injuries take place around the league which unfortunately is going to happen it could open the door for the Steelers to trade the guy that's third on their depth chart. But I think everybody, after seeing what happened with San Fran last year and the ability to dress three quarterbacks, I think the teams are going to be more like they're going to have to really have an offer that entices them to move off of a third quarterback that they feel like is playable in an NFL game. Yeah, I think, listen, I think Mason Rudolph is a good third stringer, um, but he did not get any interest as a backup. He sat out there for how long and ended up coming back to Pittsburgh. Remember when he was out there, like the, the rumor was that he, there was no way he's coming back to Pittsburgh. And then when he did, everyone he was shocked because we were like, wait, really? He's, he's coming back? Yeah, yeah he is. And, and listen, he didn't have like a particularly good camp or anything. You know what he is. He's a deep ball thrower and kind of a statue in the pocket, but you kind of know what he is. I, I don't know if a trade for him is, is going to come afoot. I, I just – Maybe if there's a situation there, but the Patriots do still have Bailey Zappi and Matt Corral on their practice squad. So it is, it should be noted. They do have actually three quarterbacks in that organization right now for a fifth round pick. I think though is very rich. Um, Even, you know, Bill Belichick has made some pretty head scratching trades before, but even for him, I think that one's a little bit weird. I mean, he's basically bidding against himself with that. Um, we should acknowledge it's Omar Khan, though. So, like, he could basically do whatever he wants. It is. I mean, and... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe if, like, Mac Jones gets hurt or something. Maybe. Yeah. Like, I I just think, you know, this isn't a, a, a Houston Texan situation where Houston basically did not have a starting center after Juice Scruggs got hurt. Jared Patterson was a sixth-round rookie. And so they had to trade. They decided they had to trade for Kendrick Green. Like, that was desperation. I'm not sure like Bill Belichick is that desperate. I think he's just going to be like, all right, in practice, let's see who runs the scout team better between Zappi and Corral, and then I'll just sign one of them to the active roster. Like, I think they already have a plan there Um, if Mac Jones gets hurt. Uh, I just – Mason Ru- – we've talked about Mason Rudolph being traded for like two straight years now, and it just mm-hmm. never, ever happened. And then he hit the open market, and no one really wanted him. Like – I, I don't know. I, I find it hard to believe that a team's suddenly going to give up a fifth round pick for him. 
it is what it is. If the if the deal comes I along, I mean, Omar Khan should accept it in a second. I'll, I'll say that, but uh, I I don't I don't believe that it will happen. I think maybe Rudolph to the Patriots makes some semblance of sense, but not for a fifth round pick. It probably for like be like for a conditional seventh or something. I think bringing up the Houston offensive line thing was a good point because that type of thing would probably have to happen to a team's quarterback room for a deal to materialize there. I agree. I mean, yeah, Mac Jones would have to get hurt. and you know, I'm not just talking about for New England, though, like any quarterback room. like yeah, yeah, any quarterback room, though, they would have to be down. You know, maybe Arizona loses both Dobbs and Clayton, too. Like that would have to happen <laughs> in order to, like, get Mason Rudolph in that building or something. They might like, be cool with it, though, because the Cardinals very clearly not trying to win football games in 2023. So if that happened, they might just be like, all right, we're playing like James Conner, a quarterback. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mason Rudolph. I, I just have a hard time seeing right now where a trade makes sense for them, like for a team to go get him. Like, I don't think if they wanted him as a backup, they could have signed him like all all spring. And it just never happened. And you kind of felt like afterwards, you know, when Rudolph came back to the Steelers, he was like, you know, maybe some teams were talking to me, but I never really got a formal offer there. And he came back for the minimum. I mean, it's not like he mm-hmm. got like paid much. Like he got paid the minimum, and he ended up coming back to the Steelers. So I don't know. I think Mason Rudolph is also very nice insurance for the Steelers to where, if anything did happen to Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky at the same time, they have a third quarterback that can actually not completely blow everything up because most teams third quarterback will just completely cost them the football game. And like Mason Rudolph isn't like a great quarterback, but I am pretty sure he can game manage his way to 15, 16 points. You know, he's done that before and he's got an ability to, to work the deep ball. And I think that's kind of a cool thing to have as your third quarterback when George Pickens is your wide receiver. Cause a lot of those plays can just be all right, Mason throw it up to George and let's just hope things go. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Um, All right. Let's turn to Twitter now for some questions. You just mentioned George Pickens. So we'll start with this one. Actually, one person had three questions for us. Um, Besides Kenny, who are you most excited to see take a leap? I feel like the easy answer is George Pickens. I mean, because obviously everybody was excited, even just based off the production that he had as a rookie. But I want to see more than just go routes. I want to see more than him just being a jump ball specialist. We've heard about this route tree diversifying him doing some different things. Obviously, like year two for wide receivers, you typically see them take a leap. Every player in the NFL, but um, specifically at receivers, year two, year three. Um, So I I think he's the easy answer there. And then I start to like look around for another one. And it's hard just because it's such a young team or it's like the rookie class that we're really excited about. Like when you look at this roster right now, who, who are you looking to take a leap in 2023? Yeah, I think, you know, some people made like Pat Frymuth as like a breakout player. And I'm like, he's already broken out. I don't care what anyone says. A 732-yard season as a tight end is a breakout season. Um, so when I'm looking at breakout players, it's kind of hard to find because it's either really yeah. young guys um, that have kind of already broken out, like a Najee and, and a Pat Frymuth. Um, obviously Kenny's the one you're kind of looking at to break out, but like, I think the other obvious candidate other than George Pickens, Calvin Austin, like is a really easy one, right? You know, be that 
Yeah. Uh, big explosive receiver, get two or three touches a game, maybe a you know, two targets on a deep ball just to keep people honest. Like returner, like I think he's he's kind of one. I also think like the underrated guy is probably Dan Moore. I think that's a good one because we've talked about how good of a camp he's had, and he has had a really good camp. He looks much better in terms of his technique. His body is built just way better. He held off Broderick Jones. Like he had a great camp. Mm-hmm. He didn't just they didn't just, you know, want to play Dan Moore. I don't believe that. That was a competition. Dan Moore just played too good for them to ever even consider, to be quite honest with you. Be like, should we start Broderick Jones? And then Dan Moore just kept playing really well. He had like two bad blocks his first week of camp. And since then, he's just been like that the entire way. So I think Dan Moore's a potential breakout. And that could be big for the Steelers because, you know, Chooks Corafors do a lot of money that next year. Mm-hmm. And if Dan Moore, who has been playing on the right side at Thomas during camp, ends up being a breakout player, Steelers have the right tackle for next year. And so I think that's a that's a breakout guy. Um, I think Leal on defense is probably your your big one. Um, you want to see what DeMarvin Leal can do there. Um, you know, second year big athlete, kind of as Alan Saunders describes him, a relief pitcher. Um I, I kind of view him as a guy that could do a little bit of everything um, for them up front, but I want to see more production. Um, I do. And then I think the last guy I can think of that I would want to see a breakout from that kind of doesn't have like a clear path to playing time, but Mark Robinson is just a kind of a high potential athlete at inside backer. Um, yeah. If an injury happens there, and I'm sure there will be an injury to one of those three kind of starting inside linebackers. I just want to see Mark Robinson, you know, have the game slow down for him, start to become Elandon Roberts. Like that's what I want him to be. I want I want Mark Robinson to be Elandon Roberts, who is like, yes, he's the missile that Mark Robinson is, but he's always in the right place, right? He's always shooting the right gap. He's never out of position. That's been the thing with Mark Robinson has always been, all right, you're, you're running fast, you're hitting guys hard, you're making plays, but also you can give up those big plays and, and give up big runs, mm-hmm. but Atlanta Roberts doesn't do that. So I want to see Mark Robinson take a progression in that area. So I think those are your obvious breakout candidates. Um, there are probably other guys um, deeper down the depth chart. You know, you could put like an Elijah Riley in there. Um, mm, interesting. If you want to throw the rookies in there too, you can, but I, I typically want to call a breakout season the second year. Yeah, I, the other one that I that I was thinking about, but like he flashed so much in year one, would be is there a even more there for Jalen Warren in year two? I like, but again, I feel like you're kind of you're kind of cheating almost with what he showed in year one. I mean, on that line, I mean Anthony McFarlane definitely classifies a breakout too if if his camp yeah. translates. Um, so I mean, the running back position is kind of interesting for the Steelers because I feel like they have a pretty good three deep. Um, and, and yeah, I think there is more meat on the bone for Jalen Warren. It's just, do you consider what he did in year one a breakout? Probably right. not, considering the numbers are actually quite modest. The tape is awesome, mm-hmm. though. So, uh, yeah, I think he could be an interesting breakout candidate, too. Um, like I said, three questions from this guy. So, how confident are we in the DB room now compared to last year's or years past, not just last year's? I'm less confident than I was uh, from last year's. Um, not that I don't like the DB room, but I feel like they had more continuity and, and I knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't know what the slot rotation looks like. I like they had Desmond King. I think that adds a lot of kind of impact there. I think, I think the best course of action for right now is Desmond King is your rundown nickel and your pass down nickel is probably Pat Pete. Like that's what I would think, but 
that leaves Shannon Sullivan and Elijah Riley in an odd spot. Um, so week one, it's probably, I don't even know how much Desmond King plays against the 49ers. I, I imagine Shannon Sullivan probably actually starts week one, but as we go deeper into the season, I think Desmond King will probably play more and more. Um, so I, I mean, I feel better about the slot. I, I will say that I feel much better about the slot, but I'm still worry of the outside corners. Um, Pat Pete playing a lot of man coverage, I think is still a very ominous question for us, you know, at this point, um, good player still, but he played a lot of zone last year. And that's why Pat Pete had a really good season. So if you're going to play a lot of zone, that forces then the rookie to play out of his comfort zone because Joey Porter Jr. is a man heavy corner. So it's kind of weird. I don't know. Maybe you play a lot of quarters. I think that maybe is something that they do because it's kind of a mix of both zone and man. And you can let Pat Pete use his eyes in that and, and let Joey kind of, you know, play up. So you can kind of mix and match there. So maybe that's what they do. Maybe they play a lot of two high quarters, uh, quarter, quarter, mm-hmm. half type deal. Uh, I think that's possible. Um, Levi Wallace is like the one guy I don't have a single question about. I know what he's going to be. Like, I know what Levi Wallace will bring to the table. And the safety room, I think, is fine, too. I think, you know, Casey, Neil, and, and obviously Minka are a really good three. Um, so I just – I don't know about the corner room still. I still have questions about it. I think it's still the one room I have the most questions about. It's not that they haven't tried to address it. They definitely have. I'm just not sure that the conglomeration of guys they have there yet is like – going to mesh mm-hmm. so well together i think there might be growing pains there we'll, we'll see well yeah so that's a good point is feel better about it right now than we did at the start of training camp but not necessarily to the level that we did in years past and i think while there is like some talent discrepancy there too really on the back end of the secondary you're talking so much about communication aspect of things and while everybody wanted to brag on Terrell Edmonds time here because he wasn't necessarily that ball hawking safety, didn't make a ton of splash plays. Man, he would get everybody lined up in the right place. He was one of the best communicators on the team. Everybody would tell you that. Um, so I think that that's kind of where you're losing something is with the loss of him there, the loss of Cam Sutton, who was so smart, one of the most versatile, versatile defensive backs. And it's funny because I brought up to Tyler, how good would you feel about the Steelers' defense right now? or just in general, the team, the roster of the team, if nothing else was different about the way they went about the offseason, but Cam Sutton was on the team. Oh, I'd feel way better. I think yeah. losing Cam Sutton is easily the biggest loss they endured this entire offseason. Um, I just look at what he brought to the team, and he played like six spots and did them all at a really high level. You know, usually the jack-of-trades guys are like, it's, it's good for a little bit, and then you realize they're kind of the jack of none because they're basically replacement level at every spot, if even. But mm-hmm. Cam Sutton was truly a guy that was an above-average outside corner, a great slot cover corner, and then a really good dimebacker. Like, he could do all three of those positions at a high level, and he just got better, and he was one of the smartest guys in the room. Now, I think they have absolutely replaced – the intelligence aspect, the leadership aspect of that with Pat Pete. I think there's no doubt about that. In fact, they probably upgraded on it because Pat Pete is just such a smart player and obviously a phenomenal leader. I just think, you know, Sutton has more athleticism right now, and that was never even his juice. Uh, so I just think if you had brought in Pat Pete on top of signing Cam Sutton, which probably would have never happened, but yeah. if you just if it was just Cam Sutton, Levi Wallace, and Joey Porter Jr., I think I would feel better just because I'm not sure how Patrick Peterson like 
fits in super well with the type of stuff Joey Porter Jr. does. And then I'm not completely certain of how the slot thing's going to go with Pat Pete, just because I haven't seen a lot of Pat Pete. Pat Pete could be great in the slot. Like when I talk about Pat Pete in the slot and the questions there, it's not that I, I don't think he can do it. I just, I don't know if he can do it. Right. Yeah. It's an unknown. And, you know, Cam Sutton would be a known. So that's why I thought it was worth bringing up. Um, another one here. This is a good segue too. by the time September 10th rolls around. Will we actually see Desmond King, Shannon Sullivan and Elijah and Elijah Riley all still on the roster? It's tough because I, I don't I can't remember them having seven corners on a team like ever. But I also thought about this and the fact that one Elijah Riley is a great special teamer, like an elite special teamer. He's one of their best, like a top three special teamer on the team to me in terms of what he brings to the table. And plus, he's basically their actual backup safety. Like mm-hmm. yeah. that is something to consider, too. So when people are like, oh, Riley's going to get cut. I always am like, he's kind of the fifth safety. Really, he's the fourth safety. Killebrew basically played no safety at all. So if an injury happens at safety, Elijah Riley's going to play. Like, I, I have to imagine that. And then Shannon Sullivan's like a really good special teamer. And he's kind of too good to be cut. I, I don't know. I, I I don't like love Shannon Sullivan's game based on what I saw in Minnesota. And I'm glad they upgraded on him to go to Desmond King. But if Desmond King gets hurt, I also want to have Shannon Sullivan on the team. Like, I, I do want that. Um, it provides you a backup plan from if Pat Pete can't play or Pat Pete gets hurt. Um, so I kind of think they're all going to be on the roster. I don't know. I've never remember them carrying 11 DBs, but like, who's, where's the roster spot going to? Like who, who is mm-hmm. clamoring so much for that roster spot right now? Um, you know, Tanner Muse maybe could have been a guy that circled back around, but he's now with the Chargers. I mean, maybe you want another inside linebacker, but. I don't I don't see a guy, you know, it seems like they're they're moving on from Gentry. Like it doesn't seem like he's coming back. And I don't know about Norwood either. I, I just I'm I just ask like who is that roster spot going to? So I I don't I don't unless something comes up and, and you know they have the right opportunity that comes out of nowhere. I don't I think they're all gonna be in the roster. Yeah, I agree. Now, if you were to ask me, do those guys all still stay on the roster throughout the duration of the season? I don't know, because again, with that many DBs, if something else takes place where they need to add a different position, that's probably the first place you're looking at trimming from, which is a a good point um, to go to as well, because Chris said, who's going to be the game day inactives in our estimation? Anderson, Cook, Loudermilk, Pierre, Gunner, those likes. Who would you right now from the 53 say they're probably going to be inactive on game day? Gunner is definitely going to be one of them. I think Dylan Cook will be the other. Um, yeah. I tend to think Anderson's gonna be active, um, just because he can play so many spots. Um, kind of their fourth tackle. I mean, we'll see. It could have two O line inactives. I think that's a possibility. Out of the D linemen, I would say depends on matchup. I think some days it could be Loudermilk. I think others it could be Watts. Um, you know, if they're facing a run heavy team and want the run defense that Loudermilk brings, I think mm-hmm. could be um, Watts. So we'll, we'll kind of see. I think that that will kind of flip back and forth. Um, but I, I think, you know, the inactives aren't super hard to pin down. I think Anthony McFarlane could potentially be an inactive if he's not the kicker turner. Um, if they just decide to give the full return job to, to Calvin Austin, I think, mm-hmm. you know, Ant-Mac could be a, a potential guy they sit down. 
Um, but I mean, my five that I would probably say right now are probably Gunner, Cook, Louder Milk, Sullivan, maybe. Maybe King sits in the first game. I think that's a possibility just because mm. we're trying to acclimate him into it. Um, yeah. So I think one of those corners or DBs probably sits down. Um, maybe Sullivan sits eventually in the season or because I just, I think Riley's going to play a lot just because of his special teams versatility. Um, so I don't imagine he will. And then I think, yeah, I mean, I think Anderson is like the logical fifth. Um, just cause right. You're keeping Mason active for most games now that you have the third QB role. So, um, you know, maybe Rudolph even could slot in there if they really don't care enough, but the fact that he's going to be active now, I think he will be. Um, so yeah, those are kind of the guys I'm looking at. Okay. And uh, the last one here, Brandon says, what are your guys' true expectations for this season? Not a homer answer either, like legit expectations that you would consider this upcoming season a success. Well, I think those are two different questions, right? Because to consider it a success, I think would be different than necessarily what you could be expecting. Um, Also, I don't think you have to preface by saying homer thing. You're never going to, Get that while I am a fan of the team, I 100% am able to take that out of the equation here. Um, I do think that it's very possible the Steelers are a better football team than last year, yet still finish in like the same spot in the division because the division is so good, the conference is so good. Their strength of schedule, however, sixth easiest in the NFL. I, I think they're going to be in the mix for a wild card. What's funny is I haven't actually like sat down and mapped out how I think the NFL season's going to go and to give my predictions. So you're kind of putting me on the spot here. But um, I think they will compete for a wild card spot. I think they'll be a fringe wild card team. I think they'll get in. Yeah, I think a good type barometer is one, I think they probably should do better than they did last year. I know they're in a probably even tougher division and the conference has now Aaron Rodgers in it and all that. I understand, but they probably should be 10 and seven. I I just think they got better across the board and and it's kind of hard not to expect that when TJ Watt at, as of now, obviously you think he's going to be healthy for the year. So, I mean, they would have been better than nine and eight last year. TJ Watt played all those games. Probably like they probably Mm would have been 10 and seven last year. If TJ Watt had played, it's, it's just kind of what, what history has shown us. Um, so, yeah, I, I think 10-7, 11-6, realistic. I really do. I think a 9-8 and eight season kind of be disappointing unless they snuck into the playoffs with that record. Um, listen, I think they're going to – I think they're going to endure at least three losses in the division. It's just a really hard division. Um, three and three is a win in that division this year. I, I really think there's a possibility we see three and three, three and three, all four teams. Like that is a legitimate outcome. I feel like, cause it is a bloodbath in the AFC North, but like you look at the other teams schedules and like the Steelers have a lot of, have a lot more like, okay, like games that they should win. Right. They play the Rams, they play the Texans, like they play these bad teams. So I think like 10, 7, 11, 6 in the playoff berth is very, very realistic for them. I just think a success, though, I think you have to define success by not just making the playoffs. Because if they're 10 and 7, but Kenny Pickett like looks like he sucks, that's not a success. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because like that's possible. Like that's a definite outcome that could happen. They could just ride Najee Harris and Jalen Warren and 
and, you know, make Kenny Pickett kind of revert to a dink and duck quarterback. And everyone's like, well, yeah, you could win doing that, but you don't want to do that. Right. That's not what you want to your offense to be. Um, so it's possible that it could be not a success there. So I think a success defined should be you make the playoffs as a wild card team, um, at least, and you find out that Kenny Pickett has taken a step forward. You find out that your team is going in the right direction. I think 10 and 7, 11 and 6 with a good season from your quarterback is a okay. I think that's okay. Um, ideally, I feel like you would want to win a playoff game this year, but you feel like if the Steelers make it, they are going to have to say, go to a really tough game, whether that's Arrowhead, Buffalo, it could be anywhere at this point. You know, they could have to go and play play a really tough game because the AFC is really loaded. They could have to go to Cincinnati. Um, I mean, it, it, it's a tough, tough, tough conference. But I, I know I, I saw Dominique Foxworth today said, you know, the math for the Steelers this year, they can be a playoff contender, but they might not make it just because there's so many good teams in the AFC. Um, if they were in the NFC, they'd make the playoffs easily. I, I truly believe yeah. that. But I, I, I still would set your goal at make the playoffs – quarterback takes a leap that's your successful season that was a good point too about if the quarterback doesn't take a leap but you still sneak in is it a success because we just mentioned last year you know they miss it by a game say last year's team would have made the playoffs but like kenny has the same numbers as he did last year but it's this year instead in year two we are expecting him to take a leap but he has like a seven to nine touchdown interception ratio is that really a win if we're going into year three with still that question mark so I think that's a good point to bring up. Yeah, I don't think it is a win. I think I think the single most important thing this season is the development of Kenny Pickett. It just is. And so you need that guy to take leaps. You, you do. But you you can win. By Tom's proven you can win with bad quarterback play. He's done it. He, mm-hmm. he brought Ben in his last year when he was just not playing like he usually would and, and was clearly a husk of what he used to be to the playoffs, man. So... Like, if, if you get a season out of Kenny Pickett that resembles 21 Roethlisberger in terms of effectiveness, like, that is not a success to me. Right. All right. Well, we will leave it at that. We got to get Nick out of here so he can go to the Greek festival. And uh, I got a family dinner. So, Nick, tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, guys, you can follow me at Farabout FB. Make sure to check out uh, SteelersNow.com. We just also launched a uh, subscription service for all the three sites. You can get... Hockey now, if you like pens and pirates, if you like that, along with the Steelers, for only $5. $5. That's it. Just $5 a month. And so, that's what a foot long used to be at Subway, man. Yeah. The good old days. $5. That's it. If you <laughs> want to check that out, um, you can get some great articles over there from me, Alan, and our good friend Derek Bell. So uh, if you want to check that out, feel free. Absolutely. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the channel here. Leave us a like, hit that notification bell, comment down below. Leave us a five-star review if you are listening somewhere else. Be sure to follow Nick. Like he said, you can find me at Zachary Smith, PGH. Uh, and until next time, we'll be back after the weekend to talk on Monday. Hopefully some new storylines come into play to talk about. Uh, drop some comments down below, like I said, and we will get to them on the next episode. For Nick Farabaugh, I'm Zachary Smith, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.